Welcome back to another episode of the CHL Top 10 Show presented by Kia. My name is Scott Van Kunit, and today my guest is TSN's Director of Scouting, Craig Button. We're going to talk about the Kubota Top Prospects game, including Connor Bedard and the Celebrity Coaches. We're going to check in on the new number one team in the nation, the Quebec Ramparts, the undefeated Red Deer Rebels. We're going to chat about the exceptional start to Michael Mises' career and what to do with Shane Wright. So without further ado, let's dive in with Craig Button. Okay, joining me once again is TSN's Director of Scouting, Craig Button. Craig, it's been three months since we last chatted. <laughs> uh, a lot has happened. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Scott, and a lot does happen because we're talking about young players. You know, you think about, you know, the, the Memorial Cup in St. John, New Brunswick, which was phenomenal, right? And just think about some of the players that were there, you know, and Arbor Jacki now has scored his first NHL goal a short three months later, right? You know, Caden Gooley has scored his first NHL goal a short three months later. You know, we're talking about the Hamilton Bulldogs and the Edmonton Oil Kings, and and certainly, you know, you, you look at as players continue to progress you know some have been to nhl training camps some have been drafted it really a lot does change in a short period of time but and what it really speaks to is is really number one how dedicated and committed these young players are and number two which probably should be number one is how incredibly gifted and talented they are because you know you're talking about jumping from junior hockey right to the nhl and making an impact. Wyatt Johnston. I mean, he's been told by the Dallas Stars, you're staying here for the year. So, you know, it also speaks to a player that could be back in Windsor, perhaps pushing them to uh, a league championship into the Memorial Cup and uh, Kamloops in uh, 2023. But he's going to get his opportunity to, you know, do it in the NHL, which is what all the young players are dreaming of. Right. And, and what a start for for those guys that you mentioned, uh, Arbor Jacki for sure has become a cult favorite in Montreal already. Uh, Wi-Fi, uh, that's, <laughs> it's, that's pretty fun to watch. So see those guys move on so quickly. Um, well, now I guess it's time to turn our attention to the next wave of players that we're going to be trying to graduate from our league. And, uh, and what better way to start that than with the Kubota Top Prospects game, which we know is going to be on January 25th in Vancouver in the hometown of none other than Connor Bedard. So let's start with Connor Bedard and how he's been so far this season. He's only been shut out in one game and that was the first game of the season and has obviously been on a tear ever since. And you know, when you, when, when you talk his calendar went from October to November, he's a leading scorer in the CHL. And, you know, when you think about Connor and, you, you know, nothing surprises me about Connor Bedard, you know, he, he, and, and one of the things that I think we, we, we talk about a shot and we talk about his brain and talk about his playmaking and everything, but he is such a determined competitor. He, he wants to be a difference maker in so many different ways for his team. And, you know, obviously when you're leading the CHL and scoring, you, you've found a way to do that. And, you know, no surprise that that is the case. And when, when we start to consider about the top prospects game, you know, our teams are going to have a better sense of where they sit in the standings when it comes to the NHL. So there'll be, you know, lesser teams to, to focus in on Connor Bedard, you know, with, who are going to have the opportunity to draft them. But, but it's no less an opportunity to be thrilled by his play, to be, you know, to, to respect his play and to be enthused by his play. Because, you know, like a lot of young players, 
people are, and when you hear, we've heard about Connor now for a number of years, but I always remind, go and watch him, go and watch him. He's worth the price of admission. He, he's a player that that's exciting to watch. And, and he understands that people are coming to watch him to play. Scotty doesn't disappoint. He doesn't disappoint. And I think that, you know, from his, from his first uh, steps into the, into the CHL with Regina during the bubble year, during the pandemic to last year when he had 51 goals, we know what he's done internationally and it's no, there, there's no sense of, uh, of Connor Bedard doing anything less than something brilliant and magnificent because that's the type of player he is. And you talk to other players around the league and there are the older players that are looking over their shoulders at him to see what he's doing. And there are the players that are his age that are especially in, in the O and the Q that are looking forward to going to the, the prospects game to have a chance to play with or against him just to see how they stack up against him. Now we're not going to get too much into the rosters because those will come out um, in December, but we can talk about the coaches uh, since we have revealed the coaches for this year's game and behind one bench would be none other than Daniel and Henrik Sedin, the second and third overall picks from the 1999 draft. Uh, pretty excited to have those guys there. What do you think they're going to bring behind the bench? Well, we knew what they brought on the ice and, you know, inducted to the Hockey Hall of Fame in the class of 2022. And, you know, I mean, you talk about brilliant playmakers and you talk about brilliant minds and the things they did with their imagination and their creativity. It, it was it was really special. And you, you know what I think a lot about, Scott? I mean, think about that. They, they came into the league, you, you know, for a few seasons before the rule package change in 2005. And you know, you think about what they have, and I think they've they've been a real uh, example of imagination and creativity and playmaking, holding on to the puck, making plays, and being allowed to do it that we see on display throughout the CHL over the course of of, of the season. And I, 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 it's exciting. I mean, you think about young players. And, and these players that are going to play in the prospects game, they absolutely know Daniel and Henrik. And it's not like they're players that they might not re remember or they've heard about. They know those two players. They know how good they were and what they did in the game. So think about, you know, players that are excited to play with Connor Bedard, maybe be on his line, players that get to measure themselves against them. Well, the, the players that are going to play for Daniel and Henrik it's a thrill for those guys to be around two Hall of Famers. And certainly when we think about the Vancouver Canucks, Daniel and Henrik are two of the uh, the two of the players that immediately come to mind for their brilliance playing a long time in the NHL. So, you know, I, I would imagine they're going to probably really emphasize make plays, be confident, you know, <laughs> use your imagination, you know, all those types of things that made them so special in the NHL. Yeah, 17 plus seasons in the NHL, uh, over a thousand points apiece, uh, pretty incredible careers for them. Behind the other bench, um, a couple more Vancouver Canuck legends that have been with the organization for 40 plus years each. That's Stan Smeal, who also won a couple of Memorial Cups, and Ron DeLorme. Uh, a little bit different between the two sets of coaches? <laughs> Yeah, 
I would say that the style of play that Ron DeLorme and Stan Smeal uh, employed was a little bit different than Daniel and Henrik. So I, I would think that, you know, and, and keep in mind that Stan's been a longtime member of the Vancouver Knights and Ronnie has been a significant part of their scouting effort for, for decades, you know, and, and they appreciate Daniel Sedin and Henrik Sedin. I don't think they're going to want to really kind of have the players focus in on the re rambunctious style that they that the two of them played like I think they understand that the young players have a lot of skill and everything and you know Stan Smeal was a really good player you talk about a, a Memorial Cup champion and those teams in New Westminster you know really really could play any way you wanted to I mean they could they were rugged they were tough but they were very skilled and you know, you think about Ernie McLean, who ha had a very, very uh, long, successful career in the CHL. You know, Stan certainly developed under him and had a good NHL career. And Ron DeLorme, you know, his very good friend, Thomas Gradine, who has been with the Vancouver Canucks all these years. Thomas said, you know, a lot of people said that Ron protected me, but he said, I protected Ron just as much as he protected me. And the two of them just giggle and laugh at one another because Ronnie always would say, oh, how I wish I could skate and handle the puck like Thomas Gradine. So both, I, I know Ron has a great appreciation for skill and certainly Stan combined elements of ruggedness and skill and, and determination. But, you know, for the players that are going to get an opportunity to be around these four former uh, NHL players and just wonderful people. It it, it, it really, it, it connects generations, right, Scott? It connects generations. Y you know, the history now comes into play. And I talk about the players, you know, knowing and having seen that are going to play in the CHL prospects game, knowing and seeing Henrik and Daniel play. But they get some history now, hearing about Stan and hearing about Ron. And the history of the game is is long and it's deep. And I think it's always good for uh, for the younger players to, you know, get a little taste uh, of that history and and understand what these players have contributed in their long careers, both on and off the ice. Yeah, Stan the, had the first number retired by the Vancouver Canucks as well, so lots of history there. When the when the Sedins were drafted into the NHL, you were with the with the Dallas Stars organization. Now I know you didn't have a first round pick that year, but what were your kind of notes on the Sedins going into the draft that year? You know, well, I mean, I'd watched the Sedins since they were 15 years of age. And, you know, I mean, the first time you see them, I mean, it, it, it's amazing the way they played and the way they handled the puck and the way they created offense and everything. And, and you know, I give I, I, I still think it, it, it's one of the most brilliant draft maneuvers ever in the history of the draft by Brian Burke. I mean, quite frankly, Scott, we were looking at like, okay, how do you think Henrik will play without Daniel? How do you think Daniel will play without Henrik? You know, they're so accustomed to playing with one another. They, you know, we talk about thinking the game along the same lines. Obviously they did that and they combined it with skill. So th there was no question that everybody knew. And certainly we knew that they were top end players, but in our mind, we, we are, and we, we didn't have a crack at them. We were never going to have a crack at them, but we always thought about, okay, how would you, how, how will, how will he do? What will he need without him? And that's what made the move by Brian Burke so brilliant is because Brian Burke was the guy thinking, I'm going to find a way to keep them together. <laughs> and, you know, so, and, and it's a little bit easier where, where we were, you know, that team that didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, who, who would be better. I mean, we could have that conversation in a very loose way. And 
But Brian wasn't in that spot. Brian was in a spot of saying, okay, and and, and certainly you, you, you would think it progressed to a point where, okay, let's not talk about one without the other. And and what why don't we talk about what it would take to get them together? I, I, I know there's lots of talk about Sam Pollock and what he did to get Guy Lafleur and everything. And certainly that was magnificent because of what it meant with Bellabo retiring. But I still put Brian Burke at the top of the list for the, for the best draft maneuver because he wasn't trying to get one player. He was trying to get two. And that, that's not easy to do at that spot of the draft. And, and you talk about pulling it off magnificently, not only that, but they showed exactly what 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 you saw when they were playing in, in with Sweden in, in the European leagues, they took it right into the NHL, and it's no accident that they're Hall of Fame players. Yeah, Brian Burke gave fantasy hockey owners everywhere hope for being able to pull off maneuvers in their own drafts every year. <laughs> <laughs> um, we go back to 2016 was the last time the the Kubota Top Prospects game was in Vancouver, and that year. There was a uh, pretty stacked rosters with Alex DeBrinket, um, Matthew Kachuk, Jacob Chikrin. They were the two captains that year. Mikhail Sergachev, Sam Girard. Uh, but it was Pierre-Luc Dubois and Pascal Laberge who put on, who stole the show, really, um, scoring the all three goals for their team with uh, Dubois setting up Laberge for two and then scoring the the, the game winner himself. So. I guess what I want to know is how important is this game for players to make an impact or is it just the bigger name guys? It's not as important. You're not going to hurt yourself or help yourself too much, but maybe some of the lesser name guys, you can put yourself on the radar with a big performance at one of those games. Yeah, Scott, the first thing I would say is every NHL team is in attendance and every NHL team has, has, over a dozen people in attendance watching this game and, and and it serves a lot of different purposes number one it gives the players a great opportunity to show what they have we all know it's one game and we can say you know one game don't get worried about it and everything but the players want to put their best foot forward every single game they play and now you get onto a national stage at the Kubota CHL prospects game guess what you know this is an opportunity to really show these NHL teams what you have so that opportunity doesn't come along for the nhl teams you don't get to see for the most part western hockey league players playing against quebec league players or quebec league players playing against uh ohl players players that are mixed together how do they play and they're and they're all really good players so it gives you a different opportunity of evaluation for the nhl teams and while, while i always say it's not a make or break uh, event or game. What, what it does do is, is give you that opportunity to say, well, geez, he, he really showed what he's capable of doing it with against good competition. And, and, and it gives you an impetus now to, to, for other players to say, we got to go watch that player a little bit more. And I'll, and I'll use Pierre Luke as an example. I'd watched Pierre Luke for, 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 for all that year, the year before with Cape Breton, and he was a good player, but he, you, you come to that, uh, uh, game and and he excels like he did. Like now, what it does is say he serves notice. You better come and watch me more because I might be better than what I've been given credit for. And I and and I think that that really becomes something that helps a player. You know, not only 
uh, you know, show that he that he's worthy of more, more notoriety, but that get over here and watch me. And I think it helps teams, you know, to say, we better go and watch Pierre-Luc Dubois. We better go watch this player or that player. So the opportunity to go there and to really, you, you know, put on your, put, put your best skate forward to do the best you can be really can serve you well, because it doesn't change before that game, what your goals are. And now going to that game, I think can absolutely help you again. You're still evaluating over a period of time, but that type of uh, platform, that type of environment, I, I, I think is one that's really positive for the players, really positive for the NHL teams. And, you know, you remind, they all want to do their best, no question about it. And just because you didn't have a, a the, the best game you wanted to have doesn't, didn't mean you didn't have a good game. And it doesn't mean it diminishes you in any way, because you're talking about, you know, a lot of players that are going to perform and that are going to perform not only past that game, but are going to perform in the future in the NHL. Gives teams and players a just a real good sense of where they're at at that particular moment in time, and then to build from it. Pierre-Luc Dubois took that and built it to the third overall pick in the NHL draft. I'm not so sure without that game that he, may, he, he, he becomes the third overall pick. I'm not going to suggest that he becomes the 15th pick, but I think that it catapulted him into a much higher spot because of how he played. And then the Columbus Blue Jackets, for one, who selected him, went and said, we better watch this guy. He's pretty good. And he is. And then on the on the other side of it, there's also players that weren't invited, uh, but got invited late because of a um, an injury replacement, such as uh, Laurent Donfait in 2013, who came in and scored a goal and assist in that game or Aiden Dudas, who came in and scored a pair of goals in Guelph in that game. So the, just because you don't get the initial invite doesn't mean you're not necessarily going to play in the game either. And then when you do, you still have to make most of that opportunity. Absolutely, you do. You know, one of the things, too, and I think that, you know, you think about a player, just pick a player from a team and he thinks that he should be invited to, to, to the, to the game. And he doesn't, I mean, th there's limited spots and, and, and the NHL and the CHL work together to try to formulate the rosters and NHL teams through, through, through NHL central scouting are trying to, who, who, who would we like to see in this environment? And, you know, think about Reed Schaefer last year, Reed Schaefer's playing in, in Seattle. He's on a good Seattle team. And, you know, there's, there's players that, that like, you know, we, we all know about Kevin Korchinski, Kevin Korchinski's job. Maybe a lot of people don't know about Reed Schaefer, but Reed Schaefer comes to the prospects game. You go, wow, he's pretty good. But over the course of time, he is now able, his team goes deeper into the playoffs. Now there's more eyes on him and more opportunity to show what you got. Let's say Reed Schaefer isn't invited to the, to the uh, prospect. And he's going, well, geez, you know, I should... He also knows that Kevin Korchinski was invited and people are going to be coming to watch him. So now, you know, there's an incentive, Hey, they're coming to watch Kevin and they, I'm going to make sure they see me too. And I, I just use that as an example because there's lots of players that are going to have that opportunity where they're going to have a teammate there. And, you know, they think, Hey, I, you know what? Pay attention to me. I didn't get invited. You can have that disappointment, but there's going to be further opportunity to show what you got. And a lot of times, you know, NHL scouts come in and it's not that they don't know a player, but 
You know, they don't know how good a player is. And you get, you know, in the case of the Seattle Thunderbirds, they go to the Western Hockey League final. There's lots of opportunity. Reed Schaefer becomes a first round draft pick. I would imagine Reed Schaefer would have become a first round draft pick if he played in the prospects game or not. But I think it's a good, it's a good way for players that, you know, if you get the opportunity, great. But if you don't, look at where the next opportunities are going to come piggyback off of some of those players that are at the prospects game because NHL scouts are coming to watch them. Well, there's one more player that I want to, I want to mention uh, who didn't get a chance to play in last year's game. And that was Jordan Dumay of the Halifax Mooseheads who used his snub uh, as motivation <laughs> and, and went on a, a scoring tear from the end of last year to the start of this year where he had, 64 points in 23 straight games before his streak ended on Saturday. So, uh, you know, you could, he could have sat there and, and pouted about not getting invited to the game, but he went and put it the other way and said, I'm going to show you guys. Well, and, and, and probably I would imagine Scott that the uh, CHL office has received a lot of complaints from the <laughs> Quebec league teams that have to play against Jordan for that snub and being saying, why did you do that? He keeps beating up on us now because you didn't invite him there, you know, almost three points a game. And, you know, Jordan be, you know, again, drafted by the Columbus blue jackets. Right. And, you know, the Angel Scouts are, are are like they they know who the players are and they, they can rate them differently or whatnot. But and, and I say this to young players all the time: don't worry about the scouts finding you. Just go and play, and you will find their eyes. Guaranteed, you will find their eyes. And that's exactly what Jordan did. That's exactly what Jordan does. And you know, it's not going to surprise me. If he's on a team candidate at the world junior championship, maybe this year is a little bit too early, but next year I could definitely see him as a candidate. And, you know, just because you didn't get the prospects game doesn't mean you're any less of a player. And I think Jordan Dumay, along with so many others, and, and, and we can go back in years and see guys that might've been just, just missed uh, of being selected end up not only, you know, being really good junior players, but go on to have really good NHL careers. And, you know, you mentioned Alex DeBrincat earlier, you know, Alex DeBrincat, you know, a, a perennial 40 goal scorer, you know, still ended up being a second round draft pick. And sometimes you ask yourself, like, how, how does that happen? Right. And I, I'll tell you a funny story. I remember Jimmy Johnston, who scouts for the uh, Dallas Stars and works out of Peterborough. He played for the Peets back in the day. And I remember like he, uh, Alex DeBrincat played with, uh, with Connor McDavid and McDavid goes pro and uh, I'm talking to Jimmy and all the talk early in the year was, oh, uh, blah, blah, how good is this to bring cap? We'll see how good he is. Jimmy and I were at a game. He had a hat trick. And I remember Jimmy saying to me, he goes, yeah, we're going to find out how good he is without McDavid. We know what he did that year in the OHL and what he's done sub subsequently. You know, obviously, Connor McDavid is a brilliant player that helps everybody be better. But Alex DeBrincat was good on his own. And, you know, it's a good example sometimes. That, you know, despite even your best efforts, you're still on approving grounds. And I think that, you know, that's reflective of, Alex being drafted in the second round if the draft was reheld and you knew you were getting a 40 goal score he, he's going early in that draft <laughs> yeah I think there are uh, quite a few teams that would like a do-over on that one <laughs> for sure um well I said we wouldn't get into to specific names but we can we can kind of dance around it a little bit we've about a month ago you released your top 32 list for this year 
And last week, Central Scouting released their players to watch list. Now, in your top 32, you had 17 CHLers. And in Central Scouting's players to watch list, they had 10 CHLers as A-rated players. Now, yours was a month ago. So has your list changed a little bit one way or another since then? And and how many CHLers do you see kind of sliding into that first round territory at this point of the year? Well, I mean, I mean you, you, you just said the number 17. I, I think you can always count on 17, 18. If it's 16, some years it might be 20. You know, it's in that range of CHL players. You, you're talking about a top league and, you know, that, and, and when you have a top league and you have top players coming into that league, well, that, well, that's where, that's where the players are going to get drafted from. And, you know, and, and certainly that should come as no surprise. Is there going to be movement with respect to certain players moving a little bit higher, some players and I always like to couch it I mean you can uh, semantics but I always feel that players are moving up which means some players have to be displaced you can call it rising and falling that's the way I position it because I think there's lots of good players that aren't in the first round but I I, I don't think that the number of CHL players is going to is, is going to is going to be less I think it'll stay right around that number and again, you know, trying to project who the players are going to be, you know, central scouting does a phenomenal job of identifying players and really telling the NHL teams, these are players that we think are going to fall into this range of the draft, you know, make the NHL teams aware they're always going to go and evaluate and put their own grades on the players and their own projections. But when I look at it, Scott, I, I see clearly that it, it, 16 to 20 are always going to be the number of CHL players that are going to be drafted in the first round of the NHL draft. And I, and I certainly don't see it being any different this year. And, you know, last year, you know, th th there's going to be, you, you know, some, some, some years where there's some flux in that, but, but, but I think this is a real strong year for the CHL specifically in the Western hockey league, because last year wasn't it, but we knew, and Scott, we talked about it at the Memorial cup that the Western hockey league was going to be well represented in the first round of the 2023 draft. And that's outside of Connor Bedard because we, we, we saw firsthand the quality of player that played as underages last year in the Western Hockey League. And I can tell you this right now, I think I went at the Western Hockey League top scorers, and I think seven of the top 14 or 15 guys are all eligible, first time eligible for the NHL draft this year. Yeah, they're in my top 32. <laughs> How much did that bubble year for them help them get a little bit of a leg up on maybe some, the, the OHL? Um, who didn't have that year. I, that, I, I think that that's a really good point to be made. You know, the Ontario kids at, at all levels, you know, they missed 18 months. I, I, I know there was a number of kids that went and played at the U18 in April of 2021 in Dallas. They, they had an opportunity to play six or seven games. But for the most part, it was 18 months that were missed. You know, I know talking to some of the coaches in the Western Hockey League, they all understood that it was different, but they all thought that it was a really good opportunity to bring your players together, to be together, to acclimate themselves to what the competition would look like and, and to understand as they came into the 2021-2022 season, you know, what expectations were about, what some of the challenges were going to be about. And, and I think that you, you, having those games under your belt 
certainly was going to help. I mean, I think about Zach Benson. Zach Benson, like he would have had to have played, you know, midget hockey, but there was no midget U16 hockey at that time. So he he got the opportunity to go play in Winnipeg, right? He wasn't the only one. Braden Yeager had the same opportunity to do that in Moose Jaw. So, you know, the, the, having that, even though it wasn't, you, you know, the true experience, it was, it, it was a solid positive experience for them to, to be playing, practicing, got a lot of focus. And, and of course we know how excited the players were to, to be playing after everything that the pandemic uh, uh, presented to everybody around the world. And certainly to the players with, you know, Hey, listen, this, this something we love to do that we're used to doing, you know, we're not sure if we're going to be able to do it or when we're going to be able to do it again. So that bubble, I think really did help those young players understand, Hey, this is, this is going to be something that's going to uh, serve us well, you know, despite having a, an absence for a period of time of, of, with no games. What what a great way for them to ease themselves into the, the WHL life without having to do the travel yeah, uh, you know, bonding with your team in one spot that uh, obviously it's paying off dividends for those players. Um, let's sh we'll shift gears a little bit here and look at the Kia CHL top 10, because after four weeks at number one, we've got a, a new number one with the Quebec Rampire jumping ahead of the Winnipeg ice. Uh, the Rampires have been on a tear lately. They've they're seemingly scoring at will. They're almost six and a half goals a game for less than a goal and a half against a game. What is it that makes this Quebec team so dangerous? They were a good team last year, Scott. And, you know, Schwinnigan, you know, the, I mean, they were down against Quebec in their playoff series. And, you know, and, and Schwinnigan found a way to, 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 un, to up, I would say, upset the Quebec Ramparts. You know, Schwinnigan was a good team. They ended up getting to the Memorial Cup. But at the same time, you know, I think that, you know, a young team, a good team, you know, kind of, you know, maybe with some expectations that they would get a little bit further last season. You know, you, you talk about coming back and, you, you know, having a chip on your shoulder and, you know, obviously Patrick Wad doesn't take losing lightly. He doesn't, he doesn't really accept it in any way, shape or form. And that certainly is uh, translates over to his players. But, you know, when, when you've gone through it and, and, and certainly Zachary Bulldog is such a good player and him kind of, I wasn't sure if he'd be back this year from St. Louis because, he, you know, he had shown glimpses of maybe he was ready, but he's back and he's a top player. Nathan Gauthier, who Nathan Gauthier, excuse me, you know, not only does he end up being a first round draft pick to the Anaheim Ducks, but then he's part of Team Canada that wins a gold medal. James Malatesta, who's always been a really good goal scorer, you know, you start to talk about the skill that they have and that and, and what they have around them, you, you know, and, and, and you have these fresh, successful experiences going to training camp, you know, being being successful at a world junior tournament. And, and, and I think it permeates throughout the team. And I think it's a hungry team. I, I think that Patrick, as well as a coach, can also keep those players, you know, like focused in. He goes, hey remember what happened last year. Remember what happened last year. Remember what happened last year. And he won't be hesitant to remind them as he pushes them ahead. But, you know, when you look at a team and I thought they had every opportunity to come out of the Quebec league last year as their team, 
I, I don't think that that's any less of an opportunity this year. And certainly the way they're playing, uh, they're not giving any indication that they have anything other than that on their minds. They they don't seem to be taking anything lightly. They bring in Simone Gagne to help behind the bench this year. You've got their captain, Theo Rochette, and Pierre-Olivier Waugh, a couple of players who are still looking for something for next year, you know, may, trying to put their best foot forward to earn an NHL contract. So it's a, it's definitely a fun team to watch. Uh, what do you think Gagne uh, let me just, let me just Let me just add one more thing to, the, to what you just said. Back to what I said about the, the so it's a good team. It's a really good team, right? So there's going to be lots of viewings of that team. So for the players you just met, you know, Rochette and Wah, you know, those guys now, they know they have eyes on them. And, and with those eyes on them is opportunity. So all those incentives, it, like there's personal incentives, there's team incentives, it all works really nicely for the Quebec Ramparts. And so uh, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I just no. wanted to add to that point. Yeah, no, that's okay. I, I was just going to ask, uh, what do you think Simone Gagne uh, brings behind the bench? Not a whole lot of coaching experience at that level. Um, I, I believe he had just been coaching his his kids before this, um, but obviously a wealth of NHL experience and, and international experience. So what does he bring to the bench with Patrick Waugh? Well, you asked me earlier about, you know, my scouting report on the Sedins watching them when I was with Dallas. In my time of scouting, I mean, you, you miss out on players because you just don't get an opportunity. So I don't call that missing out. You never had an opportunity. There's only two players in my scouting life where I was completely disappointed about not getting them because we legitimately thought we could get them. And in 1998, that was Simo Gagne. We really thought that we were going to get Simo Gagne with the Dallas Stars. And the Philadelphia Flyers saw probably exactly what we saw. And I'm a player that could be a difference maker and do everything he's on. I mean, to me, Simo, he, he played the game in a manner that, 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 that I call complete. I think if Simon wanted to be a 90 point score, he could have been, but there was the Simon understood there was so many different parts of the game that he could excel at and find ways to contribute and coaches see that and coaches understand it's no accident. He was on the 2002 Olympic team, you know, because that's exactly what they were looking for. And, you know, along with Joe Sackick and Jerome Iginla, they formed a, a heck of a line. And so when I, when, when I think about Simon and, and, and the way he played the game, how unselfish he was playing the game and yet how competitive and how skilled he was playing the game. Those are things that you never lose. You never lose those. And yeah, you he's coaching his kids. Well, Marty St. Louis was coaching his kids. He's not doing too bad coaching in the National Hockey League. So I would say that the wealth of experience that CMO has, he's played for a lot of coaches. He's an intelligent person. He's somebody that when I talk about the game, he's always looked at the game. How can I find a way to make my mark in different ways and, and do it? I, I think those are all qualities that he, he can bring uh, to the Quebec Ramparts. So, you know, when, you know, he's, he, 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 he's from Quebec City and for Patrick Waugh to, yeah, and I think it helps Patrick too. It's a different voice. It's it's a it's a player that's just recently removed from playing. You know, Patrick's a little bit longer. I mean, the, when Patrick retired, not, none of these kids that are playing for 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 Patrick now ever saw him play. They saw Simo play. 
And I think that that helps Patrick as well be a better coach. And there's no doubt in my mind that Simone is a, is a real strong addition to that Rampart staff. Well, the other team that I want to take a look at today would be the 13-0 and Red Deer Rebels, who just set the modern-day record for consecutive wins to start a season in the WHL. Um, what is what is Brent Sutter cooked together in Red Deer this year? You you look top to bottom, and there there are no superstars, if you will, on that team. Uh, a couple of rookie goalies in net uh, that are putting up big numbers, and and their captain Jaden Groob's leading the team in points. But you know, top to bottom, it seems like a pretty balanced team. It, it is a balanced team, and and it's a really competitive balanced team. Steve Connawalchuk uh, has done a really nice job in there with the group, and you know Brent uh, Br- Br- Brent is a manager. I mean, he he knows what he wants his team to look like. And and last year they had a really good team. I mean, they had a they had a team, but but it was probably a little bit young. And, and, and maybe not as complete, you know, he, he, and Brent's always looking, how do I make my team stronger? How do I give myself a better, you, you know, one of the other things too, and I don't think Brent gets enough credit for this. And then, and, and I think a lot of people in, in junior hockey, they also know that they, 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 they have good young players, but they don't want to put their young players into spots where they're overwhelmed, where they're, where, where, where they're not quite ready to handle something and, and maybe exposed a little bit, whether it be to injury or losing confidence or not doing a thing. So I think it's, we, we can look at, 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 at a well-balanced team, but what Brent's been able to do is, is make it a well-balanced team with support in all the different areas, right? Like, you know, you, you know, if you're, if you're, everybody wants stars and everybody wants top players, but if you have top players, you don't have balance through the rest of your lineup. And now players are getting exposed, younger players, you're forced in there. You know, they're not quite capable of, of being able to contribute. And, and, and I think that, you know, the junior season, I think really start, there's the beginning, there's the middle, and then there's that period of time, what I call post-Valentine's Day, where you really see every, like the younger players, especially, they feel more comfortable. You talked earlier about the bubble acclimating, getting comfortable with the, with your teammates and everything. A lot of these kids, it's the first time leaving away, living away from home. So I think Brent really understands that. And as a manager, he's done a great job of of being able to, to, to create that balance where where players can, can grow and, and, and ultimately thrive. You know, he gets Ben King back. That doesn't hurt. Kalen Lynn's a year older. That doesn't hurt. You talk about Groovy. That doesn't hurt. He makes a trade for Mats Lindgren, who I think has really come in. He he was dealt a blow with, with the starting goaltender, who was terrific last season, right? And that, now he's got two rookie goaltenders in there. They don't miss a beat. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about all the time in junior hockey, and I talk about it with a lot of different people across the country, uh, the coaches and the managers, is the development of young goalies. Well, maybe we need to take the Brent Sutter approach. And, you know, not that that was his, not that that was his preference, but he said, okay, here's my situation. How do we find it? And they really got a tandem going there. And it's, you know, you don't end up undefeated and their numbers are fantastic. They, 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 they play as a group. They play uh, in like to, to their individual strengths, but everything is done for the collective. Sounds like Brent Sutter, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you you made me think of um, well, we were talking about Rochette and Wah earlier, looking for contracts as overage players. Uh, last year, Archie Baines, Red Deer Rebels, earned a contract after his 
monster season with them. So um, just goes to show you, you keep putting in the time and, and good things will happen. Well, and, and Christopher Seedoff, who went through a couple of drafts, the Finnish player, I mean, he, he's played at Red Deer for a number of years. He came back to, to Red Deer. Just wait, Scott. You're, you're going to hear about him signing an NHL contract. You're, you're going again. All the eyes are on there. We saw it with our Steve Baines, who had a fantastic season. You're going to see Christopher Seedoff uh, uh, sign a contract, and you know, again, you, you end up in a situation where where you have support and you have guidance and you have patience, and it allows you to thrive. And for some players, it takes a little bit longer than it does for other players. But when you're in a good program and you know you got good coaching and you know you got good ownership, and you know, I always feel remiss and not mentioning. We talk about Brent, but but his wife Connie does a great job in there, and Merrick, his son, does a great job, and Sean Sutter, Brian's son, is a, does the scouting and the player personnel. It, it really is a, a really well-oiled unit off the ice that's very well balanced. So you know, if you're Steve Connell Walchuk and you're the players. You feel that like, hey, we have a chance to be successful here in such a great operation in Red Deer. Well, we've got a few really good teams in the WHL this year. So are are we buying stock in the Red Deer Rebels or are you you still holding off a little bit there? I'm not holding off. on. Here's what I, I, I thought that, you know, we, we, we look at the beginning of the season. I, I don't think anybody's surprised that the Winnipeg Ice would be a top team. I, none of us would be surprised that Seattle would be a top team, right? And so you look at those teams, you know, Kamloops, uh, Red Deer, you know, the, those teams, the, it, it, it's not wait and see. It's kind of like, okay, they get to evaluate, you know, what kind of moves are they going to make? Portland's having another fantastic season. But, you, you know, we, we see over time, and when I talk about time, November into December, then there's going to be a trade deadline. You know, there's going to be some teams that are looking to move some players, and there's going to be teams looking to strengthen themselves. No surprise that Seattle and Winnipeg are where they're at. I think when we see Red Deer where they're at right now, Portland, and 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 certainly and, and, and uh, Kamloops, yeah, who are hosting the Memorial Cup, right? They got, an op- they got good teams. It'll be interesting to see what they do to strengthen those teams because if we ever talk about teams trying to give themselves a better opportunity, look at what Edmonton did last year. We knew Edmonton was a good team, and then they just they went and made some significant moves. And you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, what what Red Deer does. But they're well positioned to have confidence in making moves, just like Portland. You know, if you're 500, you're not sitting here going, geez, well, we think we can make a move to win the championship and get to the Memorial Cup. And, you know, the, the other thing about the Western Hockey League this year, they get two entries into the Memorial Cup, the host Kamloops Blazers, and then another team. So, you, you know, there's a little there's a, there's a little bit more opportunity. And I think that uh, with that uh, in play, you know, it'll be interesting to see what these teams do to strengthen their lineups because they're good teams. You got some GMs licking their lips, looking at uh, <laughs> the Dylan Gunthers of the world, hoping that he'll be sent back and maybe have a shot at him for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. <laughs> we'll head back to the OHL because I want to I want to touch on Michael Misa, the, the most recent exceptional player, status player in the CHL, and just the the incredible start that he's had to his OHL career with the Saginaw Spirit. He's, he's tied with Brendan Othman, the Rangers prospect for the OHL 
goal lead with 10 goals in 13 games. Um, what have you seen from, from Mises performance so far that's impressed you? So I'm going to answer the question by saying it, it is how quickly he's adapted to the OHL. You know, I watched Michael play a number of times last year with the Mississauga Senators, and he was a good player. We know what he did in the OHL Cup. You don't get exceptional status, uh, you know, by accident. You, you, you've got to have a lot of qualities on and off the ice to uh, even be considered for it, let alone be granted it. So I, I thought that Michael might have a, have a little bit more uh, of a longer time period to, to get acclimated to the challenges of the OHL physically because Michael Michael's not small but like you know that physical maturity that, that that's going to come just you, you know by you know getting a little bit older with with days passing and you know and 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 and, and you mature in those different areas what would serve him well over time but his, the way he's acclimated to, to he's he always had skill he's always had the ability to do things we talk about the skating and the brain and the creativity. He's got all those things, but I've been massively impressed by how well he's acclimated and how comfortable he looks. It's not what he's doing. Isn't by accident, Scott. It, it really is. And, you know, quite impressive because first of all, you're granted exceptional status. So there's a real spotlight on you. You're the first overall pick going to a franchise that has high expectations for you. All the players want to see what you got. Well, I think they're seeing. <laughs> I think that Michael has been, has been uh, I will say it, beyond impressive. Beyond impressive. How much does it help him going to a team that has some of those older guys that can kind of take him under their wing, the Josh Blooms, the, the Mintikas, Sapovalovs, those guys just to be able to show him the ropes a little bit more and maybe shelter him so he doesn't have to face the the elite elite every single night. So you just heard me talk about the Red Deer Rebels, trying to put players into positions where they can thrive. And at the same time, they're thriving, they're developing, right? So you don't want to get them overexposed or put into spots that they quite that they can't quite handle. And I think how you just described it with the, with the Saginaw spirit and the players they have in place, I mean, it, 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 it's so beneficial to Michael because the coaches don't have to feel compelled. Oh, we got to get him out there. Michael's confidence doesn't get affected in a negative way. You know, he doesn't run up against some challenges that maybe he's not quite ready to handle at the present time. So having that support around him, it, I think is incredibly important to, to, to any young player's success. And certainly in the case of Michael, I think it served him and the Saginaw spirit exceptionally well. Well, we'll go from one exceptional player status to another in Shane Wright and his status with the Seattle Kraken. He's gotten into five games so far, but he hasn't been playing a lot of minutes. So what do you think is going to happen with him? Are we going to see him come back to the OHL this year? I think he should come back. Uh, you know, we go back to back to the Ontario uh, players. They missed 18 months and, you know, Shane got the opportunity. He excelled at the U18 tournament, but he, he played six games in an 18 month span. That's a lot of time to miss, you know, uh, 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 playing and developing. You can train and everything, but he missed 18 months. So you, you now are drafted high and the expectations are high of, of Shane Wright. So when I look at it and I, and, 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 and see where he's at. So, so you've drafted this player 
you have projection of this player. And now you got to look at the development of this player and what is going to best serve him to, to reach that projection, to reach his potential. And six minutes a game playing on the fourth line, in my view, doesn't serve the development aspect of, of their plan very well. And to me, I, I don't know what will happen, but I think I'll tell you what I think should happen. Back to junior. Get into the environment where you can be an important player, playing significant minutes in every single situation in the game. Continue that development. Go to the world junior team. You know, get into a best on best tournament. And then if he was playing 11 minutes or 12 minutes or 13, he was you're, you're impacting and affecting a young player's development right now. And coming off, coming on the heels of missing 18 months, you, you, you just don't want to see a player not have those opportunities. And, you know, you got to help players, you, you know, develop and succeed. And, and I think the best path for that is going back to the OHL and being in those situations. He, he'll get lots of opportunity for high quality play, you know, practicing against NHL players isn't development. It's practicing against NHL players. Shane, to me, needs to get back and, and, and be a go-to front-of-the-line player to, to, to build on not only his immense talent, but to be able for, but for the Seattle Kraken to end up with a player that can be really significant for their future. You can look at uh, Michael DiPietro and the Vancouver Canucks um, he spent that year on the taxi squad, not playing any games, and then his development seems to have stalled there. Obviously, now with with the Boston Bruins, um, but young player needing ice time to be able to yeah. continue their development. Uh, what does Kingston do with Shane if he gets sent back? You know, rumors are swirling that they they're intending on bidding for the the Memorial Cup. Can they afford to keep him if that's the if that's the case, and if if the plan is to get rid of him, how fun would it be to see him go to Flint? This is strictly hypothetical to, but to play with his best friend, Brennan Othman there. Well, uh, let me tell you this. Uh, you, you, what you should do is interview Brennan Othman. I don't think Brennan would, uh, would uh, say anything, but yes, with a big, huge smile. I mean, they know each other so well, obviously with the Don Mills flyers and everything that they've done together. I mean, they, it's been, it's been a special relationship. You know, I, I'm going to put on my uh, my amateur GM hat, you know, and, you know, Kingston are in good hands. And But here's where I'm going to go with it. So you, you, you want to bid for a Memorial Cup, wonderful. But I would have to say that Shane Wright's chances of being back, if you do get the Memorial Cup in that year, are not happening. I like I I don't see him being a junior player next season. So so so, so th you know that's my projection of it, and you know that a lot of things have to continue on, including getting back to junior. So knowing that you're not going to have that player, or feeling that you won't have that player, then what kind of a deal could you make to really enhance your team? And when you're talking about a quality player like Shane Wright, I, I can't imagine that there's not something, uh, there's not a deal or, or a transaction that couldn't serve exactly that purposes. So can, can the Kingston Frontenacs get exactly what they want with respect to the opportunity to host the Memorial Cup with a good team in a transaction with Shane Wright? I, I would say yes. And would it help Shane Wright 
uh, and, and another team, you, you know, for him to be in an environment where, you know, the team that, that, that he potentially goes to can help Kingston and they can help themselves by giving themselves a better opportunity to compete for a championship this year. So what, what, what I see is, is opportunity for everybody to potentially get exactly what they need. And, you know, we talk about win, win, win. Uh, you know, there could be a lot of wins in a, in a, in a transaction like that. And that's not, to, that's not to diminish one place or anything, but just trying to put it in its entire scope. That's where I would look at it. And a key part of that is, and that's why I said, I'll put on my amateur junior uh, GM hat. <laughs> well, that's, that's the same with me where my mind's the, the fan hat as well, where I would just love to see uh, Shane and Brennan play together once again, uh, after watching them light it up with Don Mills so many times and with Canada on multiple yeah. occasions. Um, well, this, is, this has been great, Craig. What, what's going on with you right now? What are you, what are you working on at TSN? Well, I'll tell you, the U-17 tournament is coming up. So it's going to give me another opportunity to go watch Michael Misa, as well as, you know, some terrific, you know, rookies that are playing in the CHL. You know, it's, Canada enters three teams, you know, so the opportunity to go and watch those young players in a best on best, and, you know, against the USA and Finland and Sweden, just, it, it, it's just awesome to watch those players. You know, I got a little glimpse of them in the summer when they came to uh, the Canada's U17 camp. Now they're going to go and play in a, in, in a significant tournament. We're going to broadcast the bronze medal game and the gold medal game on November 12th, uh, you know, from Langley where the Vancouver giants play. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for fans, uh, you, you know, to, to not only get a glimpse of, of the future, uh, of future stars, but of what, what ultimately the NHL is going to look like with these players dotted as part of it. And at this, at, and, and at the same time, you know, these players get a real opportunity to test themselves, you know, with one another against other good competition. And they're going to make up, they're going to make up a U18 team. They're going to make up a Linka Gretzky team. They're going to make up a world junior team or two. So, you know, this is your first opportunity to really see them. Uh, and, and I think it's just, a, it, it's just a real, real great opportunity uh, to, to see all these players and then to have, to have a point of reference, how much they've improved, where they grow from. And, you know, we'll be, we didn't get those opportunities in the last number of years, Scott, and, and the players didn't get those opportunities. So for this to be the first uh, tournament since 2019, I think that uh, for the players, there's a lot of excitement. There's just as much excitement for me to be able to go and watch that. So that's uh, beginning this Friday, beginning this Friday, November 4th uh, in, in Langley uh, and Burnaby, BC, uh, a real good opportunity to watch, the future stars of the NHL and the CHL. And, and just to build off of that, the players that get a chance to play at that, they often come back to their junior clubs with a little bit more confidence. And then you see them take off at, at the CHL level when they get back. And, and that's always fun to see. I don't think people want to hear that about Michael Mesa. They're going like, <laughs> well, he's going to come back more confident and more better. And, you know, one thing I will say, I, I mean, having seen the iteration of this tournament over a number of years, they used 
used to have this tournament at Christmas time. And I used to see exactly what you described when they came back, you know, in the new year. Having it in November, I think, is, is really positive for the players and for the teams. They get a taste of the CHL and, and, and they see how hard it is. Then they go back and they play in their age group and they it's a really good, it's a great tournament, best on best. And they get to get that confidence back. And with it, they come back in the middle of November with, with an opportunity to really build on that. So I think it serves everybody, uh, I, again, in a real meaningful manner that, 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 that is so beneficial. So the, the, the excitement is not only about going to watch them in this tournament, but then knowing that they're going to come back to their OHL, to their OHL teams or Quebec League teams or Western League teams, you know, with that confidence to push their teams a little bit further uh, to, to their own goals and objectives for the season. Awesome. Craig, as always, a real pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for taking the time. I know I've taken up way too much of it already, so I will let you go today. I can only tell you this, Scott. When we talk about the young players, we talk about the CHL, there's no such thing as taking up way too much time. It's a pleasure of mine, so thanks for having me. Make sure you check back next week where my guest will be the projected number one pick in the 2023 NHL draft, Connor Bedard, and the man who gets to call all of his games.